The advice given in this podcast is general in nature. If you require personalised medical advice, please see your healthcare professional. This podcast is not affiliated with the views of our professional employer and any real-life accounts have been appropriately de-identified for confidentiality purposes. This is 1% Stronger. Welcome back to this week's episode of 1% Stronger. Welcome back, guys. We are pleased to be in your ears for yet another week. Thank you so much for joining us again. I'm trying really hard to keep a straight face right now. We have a couple of special guests that we will introduce very soon, but they are staring at me, or one of them in particular is, very intently. So I feel like I'm going to have a couple of cracks in my voice this episode, but we'll see how we go. I'll do my best. You guys will all understand as it all unveils in a a few, wow, short (laughs) moments. First slip up of the episode. Good, good. Doing well. Amanda, tell me, how has your week been? Week been, my God. (laughs) We're off to a cracking start. This This is all staying. (laughs) How's your week been? And give me your recommendations. My week has been unbelievable. I'm on annual leave from work at the moment. So I have spent pretty much every single day at a new bar, hanging out with my friends, seeing the girls, reconnecting with people that I've missed so much. Um, it's been beautiful. The weather in Melbourne's been beautiful. As you guys know, the restrictions have been easing. So I'm so happy. Are you guys even listening or are you just going to talk away on your phones? While you, you know, you're supposed to be watching us and learning while we're doing this. We were told not to speak. <laughs> <laughs> excellent okay continue to do that um my recommendation this week it's a little bit of a random one as you guys know we've been speaking about it for the last couple of weeks that i am moving house next week very exciting but i have recently discovered a website it's called the block shop so oh dear i know i've (laughs) i've never been into the block never really watched the block i might watch you know half an episode here and there couldn't tell you any of the daytime tv whilst we're at work surely like going in the background yeah exactly So that's my extent of knowledge on the block. However, the block shop features all of the beautiful like furniture and home decor and every single thing that they feature on there is available to purchase on the website, which is extremely dangerous. And that combined with Afterpay, not a good combination at all. Cough, cough. $300 $300 dog house. Cough, cough. <laughs> it was on sale, so it's fine. And I put it on Afterpay and my dog better love it, all right? <laughs> so that is my recommendation for the week. If you're trying to save money, would not recommend whatsoever. However, if you're here for a good time like I am, absolutely get on the block shop. Maddie, what is your recommendation? How's your week been? Um, my week has been good. I am very much the same as you, as if we couldn't be any more identical, but I am also on annual leave for the next few weeks. Um, just mostly enjoying just the enjoyment that I have no real responsibilities. It's like, so nice, isn't it? It is the best. Like, people ask me what I'm doing now that restrictions have eased. I'm like, to be honest. Not working. Yeah, it's not working, <laughs> not stressing, just generally being free. Um, and wearing a mask only when I leave the house, which is kind of nice not to have to wear it for like 12 hours plus a day. Um, my recommendation for this week um, was actually I saw it on Instagram recommended by a girl called Chrissy Dask. I'm not going to try and pronounce her last name because it's Greek and there's <laughs> many things, as Lucas will know, that I cannot pronounce with Greek <laughs> names. Um, but anyway, she put up a post about a podcast called This Is Actually Happening. And I was like, oh, like had a bit of a look into it. It's made by Wondery, which a couple of the podcasts I listen to are made That's- by. What's the one that I was talking about? The one with the lady with cancer? Um, Yeah, Dying for Sex. Dying for Sex. I love that podcast. Yes. So this is made by Wondery as well. Different, um, obviously, like host of it. Essentially, it's quite similar along the lines of like What's the Deep that I recommended a few weeks ago Mm -hmm. in that it talks to people about very certain circumstances or like, I guess, unique stories that are personal to them that have had, except where what where what's the deep is sort of an interview style. This is just the individual telling their story. So it's essentially like a 45 minute to an hour long, essentially mini audio book of this person's actual life. But it feels like a story or a book where I guess it's, it's kind of like a mini in my head, I guess a mini TV series because in my head I'm watching and I can see everything that they're talking about and I'm having it play out almost like a book or a, like a TV series in my head where I can see all these things happening, but it's a podcast and it's, yeah, it's all by them. So you get their personal sort of like spin on things. And so I listened to a couple and I very thoroughly recommend it. I listened to one on a girl who talked about how her mother joined a cult and like run away from her family and like 
all sorts of things. There's a lot of like trauma involved. So obviously like trigger warning on also all of it and be cautious as to what you listen to. But I have found it very enthralling. Love it. Definitely going to have to listen. Um, so segueing, not very, you know, not a very nice transition for us today. I don't have anything to segue off. But going into the topic of this week's episode, we are carrying on our Movember month. Um, so as you guys know, obviously November, Movember, we're talking about men's health. You guys know that we're so passionate about speaking about mental health on the podcast. And we thought who better to raise our spirits than our own boyfriends who are hopefully going to get every single question <laughs> asking them wrong. They look so nervous <laughs> right now. Welcome to Justin and Jordy. Hi, guys. Thanks for having us. Hello. Wow, you're a natural doll. Yeah. You're <laughs> popping their uh, podcast virginities here. <laughs> Wow. It's really hard to sit silent So just for a little bit of context, Justin is my boyfriend, I'm Amanda. Geordie is Maddie's boyfriend, um, just so nobody gets confused, you know, as to who's who in the zoo, but just Geordie's looking at me with daggers in mind. Nobody is getting confused over that. No, no. Oh, they are, because people still can't determine our voices from one another, let alone we Justin and Geordie. I have a high-pitched cackle, that's for sure. Yeah. As long as I'm oh. not getting confused between Amanda and I. <laughs> Totally fine. So we are going to be testing their knowledge, I guess, on some of some men's health related issues. So in support of Movember, we're going to be talking a few questions, sort of doing a bit of a Q&A format on uh, initially a bit of like Movember content in terms of like cancer research and stuff like that. Uh, we'll also be testing their knowledge on just general health of the male population, so themselves, which hopefully they know about, but also asking them a few little fun little questions about women's health too, uh, just to keep them on their toes and see how much they truly know about their girlfriends slash the general female population. Yeah. Yeah. And obviously, as a disclaimer, we have not let the guys know at all about anything that we're going to be asking them. So this is all going to be lots of raw and honest. <laughs> I'm so excited, much to their dismay. They are both sitting there shaking their heads at us. They honestly look like we have forced <laughs> them to this table. Like... <laughs> Maddie, do you want to start us off with a question for Geordie? Uh, well, I guess it's for both of yeah. them, I guess. Um, so to start with, guys, please tell us about your level of health literacy. Tell us how much you know about <laughs> health what is your health background just because obviously everyone knows about ours give us yours well Jordy. yes i have none <laughs> i had the last health thing i would have done was this bizarro high school sex ed class it might have been year 10 or 11 where the the history teacher who I'm took it, this is going. one the t- one woman who took it was uh, i think an alcoholic and two, the <laughs> other guy was like the cool history teacher so all he taught us was I swear I'm not making this up, was don't use Vaseline as a lubricant because it will dissolve a condom. <laughs> that is all I recall. Does it so actually? That, I don't know. I I've know never that. checked. I don't that theory. Um, don't try that one at home, guys. Um, probably don't verify that. Um, but, yeah, that is the knowledge, the extent of my health knowledge. This will be great then, Johnny. <laughs> Wonderful. Okay. And Jazzy? Uh, I've got a health science degree, um, but I feel like that's going to be very flattering because I feel like I'm going to get none of these questions right. So <laughs> ignore all no, of pressure, no, no pressure. You'll be fine. You'll be fine. So with that in mind, guys, let's just get stuck into the questions that we are going to ask you. A really broad one, nothing too crazy to start off with. Um, just for either of you who want to answer, um, you know, discuss amongst yourselves. Yeah, you're a like team. To. Work together. What do you think the average life expectancy for a non-Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander person is in Australia? 72. Wow. Justin, that's very specific. You sound confident. <laughs> I just figure if I go with confidence, then <laughs> He's like his girlfriend. Add confident. No one will question you. Jordan, do you yeah. have anything to add to the 72 years? For a, a person like yourself, oh, you reckon a bit more? Wow. Okay. You say, so we're talking non-Aboriginal, non-Torres Strait Islander, regular human life years. Okay. Yep. Not dog Not, years. Okay. No. Good. <laughs> I'll, 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 I'll stick with seventy-seven. 
Okay. So the most recent reflective data says 80.5. Um, predicted for 2020 is 83 and a half, but it can't be determined at the time. It has to be reflective. So the most current recent data we say we have says 80 and a half. So you gave yourselves way less credit than you deserved. You guys will live longer. Congratulations. Fantastic. Thank you. <laughs> I keep telling Justin that I'm probably going to be the one to die first for it, but I hope that I am because... I do really like him. Don't I'm I'm whispering into the microphone. (laughs) Very embarrassing. Okay, moving right along. Do you think that this figure is higher or lower than in females? Lower. Lower. Yeah. Yeah. So you think that females would live longer generally? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah, absolutely correct. Congratulations. (laughs) First question you've got right. Well done. So in the same time frame for females, it was 84.6 years. So just over one whole year more in females, which... I don't know how you do maths, but that's four years longer. Um, What? 83? Oh, 80. Yeah, that's fine. I was looking at the wrong statistic, okay? I'm a mathematician. Females, on average, live four years longer than their male counterparts. I will be the fact checker for this episode, everyone. Four years longer, I will live than Geordie. And probably me too. (laughs) At this rate, sure. Yeah. Oh, dear. Gosh, gosh, gosh. All righty, guys. So the next question actually has no right answer here. But just for our interest, when was the last time you guys saw a GP? Justin, that's a great question. (laughs) Um, Actually... Over COVID, I was on telehealth quite a bit with a GP for a um, for a medical certificate issue. So. The question was, when was the last time you saw a GP for a oh. non medical health certificate issue? Ah, uh, a year ago. <laughs> Jordy, December last year. Okay, so almost Maybe. a year. Conveniently, before you started dating Maddie, so she cannot attest to the fact. Correct. Okay, so, well, in our statistics, it says that 8 out of 10 men have seen their GP in the last 12 months. So, this number has slightly increased as men age, but it decreases with their remoteness. So, the biggest perceived barrier to men seeing a GP was the wait time to see one or not wanting to take time off work to see one as well as financial cost of actually seeing one. Does that sort of resonate with you guys or does that surprise you? Oh, certainly the wait time at JP would um, would put most people off. I know that if you book in for like a midday appointment or something and you're still waiting in the waiting room at a bulk billing clinic and, you know, at 12.30, then that's probably not uncommon and certainly very frustrating for people. So that doesn't surprise me. But Justin, you're so patient. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Alrighty. <laughs> I mean, I don't think I just book at weird times because I walk in and the place is empty and the GPs is looking out. They're like, "You must be Geordie." I'm like, "Wow, yes," because it's eight fifteen in the morning and no one else is here. So I just walk right on in. You're um, awake very early. <laughs> the things we learn. Alrighty, taking a slightly morbid turn here, guys. We're going to start sort of down the cancer line here in support of Movember. So men are statistically more likely to die of cancer than females, but how much more likely? 3.7 times more likely. We want a percentage. Let's give a percentage. So is that 37%? 370%. <laughs> more likely to die. You guys, I'm surprised you've made it to 25, 26, 27. <laughs> 28. Um. <laughs> I was going to say 25. something, Johnny, but I thought it would take a shot. <laughs> what yeah. do you reckon, Jess? 18. 18%. 18? Yeah. The answer's 30. So as of the most recent statistics that we could find for this episode in 2016, we were you were 30% more likely to die of cancer than females. And just for a bit of context for everybody at home, Justin and Geordie are not, you know, veteran podcasters, but they did just exchange a raised eyebrow and they were very, they were very surprised about that statistic. So next time, guys, try to articulate it in a way that listeners can actually understand. No one will be able to see your faces in retrospect. That's why it's like vocal only. We're not YouTubers here, guys. Just, yeah. just know that I'm going to call you out on it, don't you worry. So, to follow up on that question, of the 7 million Australians that are screened by the government for cancer each year, what percentage of those do you think are men? Any easier questions? No. <laughs> and they just continuously get harder. You know? I feel like my hex gets so wasted. <laughs> I love that you're looking at Amanda's phone right now, like <laughs> kind of like edging over the edge, being like, can I read an answer? Can I get a clue? Like, 
What percentage of 7 million Australians are screened for cancer each year? What percentage of them are males? Well, 38. Okay. So you're going less than females? Uh, no. I will, you can discuss it between yourselves. The only thing I think, I know that, that people over, I don't know if it's only men over 50 get sent that bowel cancer screening kit. I, I can tell you now it's so. females and males. It's oh, anyone over the age of 50. Anyone but. over the age of 50, so that puts mm. that one away. And I certainly know that um, females get... Um, like pap smears and stuff, probably more regularly than guys get the pap um, old digital, <laughs> <laughs> or their old digital rectal examinations. So, Ooh. so what's your percentage guess, Justin? Um, oh, let's lock thirty-eight, just because it was a, <laughs> <laughs> a team effort. Well, you're very wrong. So, nine percent are men. Ninety-one percent of people of the seven million Australians that get screened by the government. 91% are women and only 9% are men. So, in- well, we were right in saying that females get screened more. That's the essence. <laughs> you were right. Of- right. Essence you were right. You were more wrong than you were right. Okay? <laughs> yeah. So, in 2015 to 2016, around $409 million was spent on cancer screening, with an estimated 7% of this target as male- targeted at male cancer. Maybe, Maddie, this is why their death rates are associated with cancer so much higher because it's being detected so much later and maybe we're not advertising or marketing it enough towards men. I mean, I think the following questions and answers might highlight that potentially. That's pretty sobering. It's even sinking in for me now. 9% of 7 million people, men, that's it. When we're supposed to be a 50-50 population. And we wonder why prostate cancer and testicular cancer mm. have such high rates. So, like, so sad. Yeah, just so everyone knew in reaction to that, Justin was did have a bit of a head-in-hand situation <laughs> going on. I don't think he's too pleased on agreeing to have come here, but I did bribe him with food and wine. So, you know, <laughs> you win some, you lose some. Um, so, guys, at what age should you start self-checking for testicular cancer? And what signs or symptoms should you be looking out for? <laughs> I think I started self-checking about 14. Is that out of, because you wanted to check for cancer oh, or yeah, just because no, you started? 100% cancer like I'm doing every time. Mental health and significant cancer screening. Justin, stress, stress, stress reduction. I genuinely hate to say this, but you're actually not wrong. So... Essentially, from puberty <laughs> onwards, men should be feeling their testicles at least monthly um, for any signs of abnormality. We're ahead of the curve. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure this is a super difficult task for you. I'm so sorry. Um, but especially given that most boys that you know, I went to school with, I know, um, you know, in their teenage years, they couldn't stop touching or readjusting. I think mm. the answers here have quite confirmed as <laughs> much. So abnormalities that we want to look at, by we, I mean you, that you want to look out for include lumps, bumps, any pain or abnormal thickening. So if any of these are present, like, don't laugh, I'm trying to be serious. If any of these are present, please see your GP early. Can you explain to me what's so funny about thickening of your ball sack? Have you not listened to the episode on, you know, sleep and talking about how your testicle shrink? Believe me, that was, that was the one episode I did pay attention to. Scarred me. Oh, dear. Um, so, guys, we'll be sure to pop up a little graphic from the... A graphic of what? <laughs> I didn't tell. All of the symptoms. <laughs> As long as it's a graphic of Geordie and I'm anonymous, so the, the listeners can guess. Let me finish my sentence. <laughs> a graphic from the Movember team. It's, 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 it's a drawing, guys, about how to check your scrotum and testes for any like male listeners who might be interested and aren't perverted like our boyfriends. Okay? <laughs> All right. Oh. We're up to my favourite question of the entire podcast, so it only gets better from here. And I'm sorry, but I'm really going to target this one towards you, Justin, because I would love to know She's what you come it. up with. If I were to buy a pack of 16 regular absorbency tampons, how much would that set me back? Shit. Jordy, <laughs> <laughs> um, feel free to like chip in here. Absolutely. Justin is not alone in this question. $7.50. Okay. Is that on sale or is that full price? 
Uh, Is that with tax or without tax? That's a cold special buy. Uh, <laughs> down, down and staying down? <laughs> what do you reckon, Jordy? $10. Wow. Oh. So you think that we should rightfully be paying that <laughs> whoa, 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 whoa. I agree with that. So you guys have actually overestimated it. Um, it's around 4 to $5 being brand and special dependent. Um, to me, I guess it's, it's much less than you've estimated, but when you think about it, an average woman endures about 456 periods over 38 years. Wow. A total of 2,280 days or 6.25 years of her life bleeding. So add up that 4 to $5 over a lifetime and we're looking at... That's how, a home deposit. Yeah, thousands. Thousands. No. I mean, that's you're getting a very shitty house. <laughs> that is your house deposit, but sure. But honestly, I think more than the money factor of it, the 6.25 years of my life spent hating... My boyfriend, first of all, and secondly, <laughs> that is really taxing. It is hard. And I'm sure, Justin, that you would have some opinions on this as well. I can only imagine. Not fit for the podcast is what his <laughs> facial expression is yeah, telling we're, me. We're, we're <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right. He values his relationship. Well done. <laughs> Good work, then. A follow-up question. How long can a woman leave a tampon in for? And then on average, how many would a woman need to last her for one period? Anybody feel free to answer this one. It's a bit of maths mixed in with, like, a question. Uh, I, I certainly, like, you hear, like, horror stories about toxic so- toxic shock syndrome and stuff. Yeah. And toxic sock syndrome is horrible, it's too. So- toxic like socks. Is, yeah. <laughs> um, for, from, you know, from females who leave it in for too long, what exactly that period of time is, I don't know. Um <laughs> Jordy's face says it all. <laughs> Maybe you've got to verbalise it. <laughs> Verbalising blind panic. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Anywhere from three minutes to like three days. I what, you what reckon I'm going to the bathroom on a three-minute basis, Jordy? Wow. I would say, oh, I would, I would say eight-hourly. Okay. Like Anything that. to add to that? No, you agree? No, disagree? I'm sticking with my original answer. Three-minute three 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 or eight-hourly? It's quite a Skittles. <laughs> You can't get it wrong. <laughs> so technically, Jody, you are correct. So five to six hours is the recommended period of time. Anything more than that is not recommended. Um, so if a woman was solely using tampons for control of her menstrual bleeding, she would use around 20 per month at that rate. So and think of it, you know, more than what's in one packet. So we were talking about generally packets come in 12 or 16 around that. Obviously, every brand is going to be a little bit different. But that means we're forking out money and time in going to get these things a couple of times a month and making sure that we're stocking up so that we're prepared because, obviously, as you know, Maddie, there is nothing worse than not being prepared. Nothing worse. <laughs> Linda, um, if you're listening to this, you oh know no. there's nothing worse. <laughs> Sorry, Linda. I don't know what the backstory is, but I can't imagine it's a nice one. Hmm. We'll leave that one for another story. Yeah, guys, moving on to the next question to save yourselves from any further embarrassment. Hopefully a bit more of an easy one. Can men get breast cancer? Uh, yes. I feel like that's why you're asking it. As if the answer <laughs> Do you not know the answer? Think it. Huh? No. Do you not know the answer? I, I felt like this is common knowledge. I don't know the answer. Well, well you need to guess one. <laughs> I, was, I, was, I was saying no. <laughs> you're saying no? I don't know. Jody's saying yes. The I'm answer- just assuming it's a trick question. Oh, Jody, you're such a lawyer. Wow. You're overthinking it. <laughs> Um, the answer is actually yes. So in 2016... So it was a trick question. It wasn't a trick. I was asking you a simple yes or no question and you asked... <laughs> There's no the tricks involved. Okay. Um, so in 2016, 138 men were diagnosed with breast cancer and 35 men died with it in Australia. So yes, these are relatively low figures when compared to other cancers affecting men. However, it's good to be aware of this. And in saying that, I can't begin to imagine the stigma involved if Justin, you know, someone in the health field with a health science degree hasn't ever really come across another man who has said that they have breast cancer, even though the statistics admittedly are quite low. I can't imagine that being common knowledge to all of their friends and family, maybe. I don't know. What do you think? Well, clearly I didn't know it, so... (laughs) Do you no. think there would be a stigma attached to having breast cancer as a man? Uh, 
would there be some kind of shame involved in it? How would you feel if it was you? No, I, me per it's a hard one. Me personally, no. I think um, as soon as, like if you get a cancer diagnosis, I think that that um, typically a lot of them will be bundled in the same branch. It's all obviously traumatic for yourself and everyone involved. And I think that the sympathy would be out there from certainly my friends and family, regardless of where it was located. Um, you can certainly anticipate there'd be some raised eyebrows about you know males getting something that's you know more commonly associated with females but um but yeah I, th- I think that um, my friends and family would be reasonably supportive if, if that was the case great good to know good. what do you think oh sorry okay would you agree mm, yes i don't know i just wonder if people would be as good at diagnosing it mm. i mean if justin didn't know it existed is your gp going to pick up on it if they're not I mean, I have absolutely no idea if that they would or wouldn't, but I can't imagine it's the same anywhere near the level of awareness or yeah. screening or support that there would be. And you're um, totally right, Geordie. Like what we were saying before, we were having a giggle about, you know, feeling your testicles for lumps and bumps and things like that. But as women, we regularly perform our own breast checks because we are feeling for bumps and lumps and things like that. Or we should be. I was going to say, if we don't, we should. We absolutely should. So... If, you know, if men aren't doing that, maybe they're not getting diagnosed and maybe that's why the rate of death compared to the rate of diagnosis is so high. Yeah, and things that can contribute to breast cancer in males, for those who are wondering, are sort of things for regular cancer, such as like increased age and familial history, but also like high levels of estrogen, consuming high levels of alcohol, um, being overweight or lacking in physical activity are all things that are known to contribute Um, There's also a rare genetic condition associated with higher rates of breast cancer in males. It's a condition called client... Oh, this is where I I can't say some of these words very fast. You go for it. You take it away. Klinefelter's syndrome, where males actually have two X chromosome and a Y rather than one X and one Y. So the abnormality is XXY, so they have an extra versus XY, meaning because they have the added X chromosome... They have more female hormone production, which obviously then leads to potential breast cancer diagnoses. Very rare, rare, my goodness, but worth mentioning. Absolutely. Still, but definitely very good to know. So prostate cancer is the most commonly diagnosed cancer in males uh, this year. What are some of the signs and symptoms of prostate cancer, guys? Um, Impaired urine flow. Yeah. Pain on urination. Amazing. Yes. What What else can you imagine? You know where the prostate is, surely. Just just general, I don't know, trouble cycling. Like You wouldn't want to sit on a hard seat firmly. You would sit down too heavily. Am I wrong? I think that's a fair. I mean, I don't know anyone with prostate cancer to ask personally whether or not that would be a case, but it's not one that's medically recognised. Okay, well, soon it will be. There are definitely some things that are sex-related as well, which you might be disappointed to know. So, you know, things like painful ejaculation or blood in the semen and the urine and things like that as well. So, you know, some of these symptoms are really fitting for males um, with a UTI or a urinary tract infection, as we call them, um, for which you should see a GP for, for anyway. But if you're over 50 or even 45 and you have a family history, or if you're of Caribbean or African descent, you should consider being tested for prostate cancer because you do have a higher predisposition to it. Yeah. So essentially any issues, if you're in that age bracket or have a family history, issues with urination or ejaculation, that kind of thing, even some pain in your or stiffness in your lower back, hips and upper thighs, very general. But as you said, maybe that's from sitting on a bicycle seat for too long. Who knows? Mm-hmm. But yeah, definitely, I guess, from that, good to be aware of um, and good to see your GP about. Absolutely. On to something a little bit more nutrition related. Out of 30, how many men do you think met the Australian government's guidelines on fruit and vegetable consumption? So what we're aiming for is five serves of vegetable and two serves of fruit per day. Out of 30 men, how many of those do you think would have achieved the five and two? One. Wow, that's a confident answer. Just just one. There's one guy who eats vegetables. <laughs> There's always one. That's it. To be fair, like, I eat probably a lot of vegetables. I eat no fruit, so I don't know that I would be achieving that. Like, mm. I would say And you are the picture six. of health, Justin. 
Okay. Six. six. So, so if, they, if it's higher than that, they're lying. So the answer is actually less than one. So yeah, nearly one out of thirty. Yes. Yeah. So nearly. Sorry, we've been set up to fail. Yeah. <laughs> so how many out of thirty? <laughs> less than one. Point three. So it's one out of hundred. Um. So online, you're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> nearly fifty percent of men met the fruit guidelines. Surprisingly, they're just. Oh, but only four percent of men <laughs> met the vegetable guideline, and around three percent met both. Um. So this is from the Australian Bureau of Statistics in two thousand. Nine. So uh, I'm calling three percent as one. Hold on, I <laughs> hold on there, mate. Depends. <laughs> they might have rounded it up here quite nicely. I cannot anyway. confirm nor deny. Um, but anyway, those statistics were from 2019. Um, it showed that compliance with this guideline was good throughout your younger years. So like. Maybe you guys would still be classified as that, but diminished as you age. So it's only going to potentially get worse from here. Um, this is, of course, not to say that women are perfect, um, but associated with lack of vegetable and fruit consumption was an associated around 65% of the male population that suffered a burden of disease um, associated with poor nutritional intake. So this meaning that men suffered medical conditions which affected their overall health and their lifestyle on a day-to-day basis, directly secondary to poor nutritional intake. Yeah, and on the topic of burden of disease, what do you think were the top 10 leading cause of burden of disease um, for men in Australia? Uh, cardiac so, disease? Yep. That's, that's number, number one. one. Well done. Not eating vegetables. (laughs) (laughs) Think of diseases that are associated with a lack of vegetables. Scampy? Jordy, it's 2020. What do you mean, Scampy? Wow. (laughs) You never know, but no, it's not the top 10. You are wrong. Cancer. Uh, Yes. Well, lung cancer specifically, yes. yes. I was hedging my bets, I'll be honest. (laughs) (laughs) What else have we got? Burden of disease. It doesn't necessarily have to be mortality, but more about morbidity as well. So, yeah, not the reasons they die, but the reason that they have perhaps like still the same length of life, but causes them day-to-day issues in terms of the disease. The quality of their life. Yes. Type 2 diabetes, 100%. Type one diabetes. <laughs> no, no, that's a lifelong thing. Once again, Jordy, no. <laughs> Good try, babe. <laughs> Gestational, Just yeah. but it's in women only. So, not that one. Not that one. All right. What are some big ones that we're missing here? Smoking, alcohol, excessive alcohol consumption, depression. 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 Yeah, yes. depressive disorders are there. What did we talk about last week? That's one of the major killers of men. Wasn't it clutter? <laughs> that man. is quite possibly the best sentence I have ever. Heard. No, last week was suicide. Okay. My boyfriend would be long dead if the clutter was the leading cause of death. To be honest, I thought last week was period. So. <laughs> Um, Justin, going back on what you said before as well, yes, you are correct in terms of smoking. So chronic obstructive pulmonary disease or COPD, for example, emphysema, that's a huge contributor to burden of disease as well. That makes the list. But what we're really, really looking for here is those big mental health conditions. So suicide, as you know, we were talking about um, anxiety disorders, depressive disorders, and then things like dementia, stroke, and things like back pain and chronic pain as well. In terms of other issues, they certainly Aww. contribute to a really poor outcome of health. <laughs> just as just enacting every single one of those things, just for all of the listeners. <laughs> um, you don't know what it looks like, but it was quite funny. <laughs> the man does have a face for radio. That is <laughs> oh, what does that say about you then, Amanda? Um, that, that is, I can't argue with that. <laughs> <laughs> random question in the middle of everything here. Which state in Australia do you think has the best men's health? You could not have, like, predicted this question or have prepared for it. Western Australia. Wow. Cool. Mm, there's plenty of, plenty of beaches. You can't, can't be sad in Western Australia. <laughs> Fair. 
However, West Australia does have a high rate of Indigenous population, which are known to have worse health outcomes. We didn't think That's of that, point. did we? I didn't think that um, it's actually the ACT, closely oh. followed in second place by Victoria, though, Jordy. So well done. You guys are exemption to the rule. You have pretty good ACT health, generally. It's a bit of a cop out, though, really, isn't it? <laughs> mm, it's a real place. <laughs> Ooh, apologies to any of the listeners if you live in the ACT. All right, Justin, I've got a real question for you. Oh, dear. so how effective is the pullout method? And you know, for a standard of measurement, let's go out of a hundred couples who use the pullout method. How many of those do you think will get pregnant? <laughs> <laughs> My poor Jazz is getting grilled on this and Jordy's getting off real easy. Jordy's coming out with scurvy and I've been talking about pull out me. Jordy, you're up next to this question as well. So what what was the question? If there were 100 couples doing the pull out method as a form of contraception, how many of those do you think would get pregnant? Um, 15. That's some pretty high chances and I, that I'm sure, not to judge, but I'm sure you've taken, potentially. Oh, whoa. We're getting very <laughs> personal here. Whoa. <laughs> 15% chance, Are you going to stamp? No, I'll, I'll let that sit there. Jordy, what do you think? So don't presume. <laughs> Less than 15. Whatever the rate is for normally getting pregnant, but minus like point. Zero zero one percent. It is less than fifteen. It's four. Admittedly, I was thinking it was pregnancies caused by that, but I understand the question. This is. It's kind of like a the double-edged sword. We kind of couldn't... You couldn't have a right answer here, really. So those who use the pull-out method... Per- <laughs> hey, now. Those who use the pull-out method perfectly, four out of 100 will get pregnant, but it actually being done perfectly is incredibly difficult so it actually involves there being zero so no contact between the ejaculate or pre-ejaculate and the vagina or the vulva so any of those can cause pregnancy so in real life with the amount of people who actually do perform the pull-out method but don't do it properly the rate is about 22 out of 100 people who wow. regularly use the pull-out method will get pregnant so it's a, just takes practice really <laughs> that is not what we are advertising on this podcast no Perfectly, the chances go down by 18%. Wow. Okay, moving right along. Moving right along. In 2017, how many males, and this is a figure, how many males do you think were diagnosed with an STD or a sexually transmitted disease? And we'll give you like plus or minus Hmm. 5,000. Give us a ballpark. Jordy, you go first, and I'll see the reaction, so I know where to go on this one. (laughs) I'll, I'll. Take the bullet on this one. A <laughs> hundred thousand. Wow, a hundred thousand. You reckon? Wow. Yes. I've overestimated, under, I don't know. Wow. I'll take that as a good A hundred and one thousand. We said with plus or minus five thousand. Should have gone ten thousand. You're both quite wrong. It's eighty-four thousand or eighty-four and a half thousand, essentially. That's pretty good. That's probably the closest <laughs> I've got so far. Actually, it's not terrible, but that is a significantly high figure, in my opinion. I think. Do you think this figure was higher or lower than in females? What do we think? Um, higher. Sorry. Higher in males. Higher in males? Yeah. Wow. Great. You got it right, guys. So males made up 56% of the total diagnosed STDs in 2017. Of those STDs, which one do you think was the most common? Chlamydia. You guys are killing it. Killing it in the STD department. Uh, That's not (laughs) me. Disclaimer. (laughs) Does not work. Pull out, but it does not work for STDs. Everyone, let us just be but factual here. Yeah, <laughs> clearly the guys missed the contraception and periods episode of this podcast. Oh my goodness! So chlamydia makes up just over fifty percent of the total number, followed by gonorrhea, hepatitis C, syphilis, hepatitis B, and then HIV. Um. So tell us, guys, why is it common for men to go bald and not for women? This is health related. Your hair is clearly. Mm-hmm. We don't need any in depth pathophysiology, just some general 
Raisins. That's a shame because I was going <laughs> <laughs> to use serious science on you, but I'll hold back. <laughs> Thank you, Jordy. Well, I'm in no danger of going bald, so it's not really something that I've come across. Neither is Jordy. <laughs> um, I'm guessing like a reduction in hormones. What kind of hormones? Um, testosterone. Hmm. It's almost got it in yeah. one. So it's caused when hair follicles are oversensitive to a hormone called dihydrotestosterone. Why do I always get the big words? Um, it's essentially produced, yeah, produced by the male hormone testosterone. So because men have more than women, they're more likely to go bald. So DHT causes the follicles to shrink and eventually stop functioning. Simple as that. It's a hormone imbalance, guys. Sorry. Pretty much know that. So, I mean, I have a lot of testosterone? Or a lot? Yeah, you have a lot of testosterone. Justin, this isn't about you. They have a lot of testosterone, which means more DHT, which means more likely to go bald. We oh. have less testosterone, therefore less likely to go bald. Yeah. So, you're saying that, okay, I'm just going to leave that there. Um, moving right along. What does PMS stand for? What is it? Is it real or is it just a myth? Three-pronged question, there, Three-pronged guys. question. I'll let you deal with the, the acronym. It's post-menstrual syndrome, stress, Jordy, symptoms, I all just, of the above. You, oh, you got 0.75 out of one. Me. You are so close. Do you want to have any alteration? No. I'll give you a clue. <laughs> Menopausal? No, I'll give you a clue. You've got the second two words right. So it's something menstrual syndrome. Three. Yes. yes. I, yeah. Yes. Uh, yeah, what a, is that's it? A, that's a, probably a pretty important word to get wrong. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, so far post that it's pre. <laughs> is what I was getting at. Wonderful. Like well, what is it? And is it real or a myth? Uh, I would say that it's real. <laughs> so, Why? Why would you say it's real, Justin? Because I'm getting daggers from across the table. <laughs> so that it's real. Uh, <laughs> Surely you've experienced it to be real, secondhand, not firsthand. I first am an angel at all times, I must admit. So you probably wouldn't have experienced it from me because I'm not very hormonal or moody. <laughs> I, I, I got so lucky, guys. <laughs> just the one in a million. Amanda you. is There's a doll. There's not many of us. No, I very, very much experience mood swings. So let me tell you. Premenstrual syndrome, it is very real. It's a combination of physical and emotional symptoms that women get after ovulation and before the start of their menstrual period. So researchers think that PMS happens in the days after ovulation because estrogen and progesterone levels begin to fall dramatically if you're not pregnant. PMS symptoms usually will go away after a few days after the women's period starts um, because the hormones level do start to rise again. So all in all, it is very real. The research currently states that around 90% of women have experienced 90%, Jazzy. And about three in four get it regularly. So these include things such as bloating, cramping, headaches, tender breasts, irritability, tiredness, changes in their appetite, mood swings, feelings of anxiety and depression, and of course, my very favorite one, a lower libido. I can just picture that list in my head and I'm just thinking tick, 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 tick. A hundred percent. I'm looking at these two thinking, wow, you guys get it kind of easy. You get it so um, I spent half my life bloated, so <laughs> I, I, I don't know if that's counted as bloat anymore. <laughs> How often are you? <laughs> How often are your breasts tender though, Jazzy? Oh, it depends if it's chest. <laughs> All right, all right, all right. So for the final few questions, they will be either or style questions. All right, so just some quick fire ones. Which sex makes up the larger percentage of the Australian population? Female. Yes. So only 49% of the population are males. Uh There's approximately four, uh, sorry, 98.4 males to every 100. So it's every male's worst nightmare. The feminists are taking over. (laughs) The girls are ruling the world. Moving on to the next question very rapidly. Which sex is more likely to engage in risky behaviours that result in premature death? Males. Yes, well done. Backed by the science too, not just societal belief. Um, When it comes to sugary drink consumption, do you think had men had double the intake, triple the intake, or the same intake as women? Triple. Double. You're right, Jordy. Well done. 
Do you want to hit him with the last one? Don't you worry, Dad. Oh, actually, I'm not sure if he'll get this one. Okay. So, do you think men think more about sex or about food? I love this question. Definitely food. Yeah, see, I was tossing up between what Justin would say, and I think that's what I thought he would say. You can say Jordy? that now. <laughs> Food. Yeah, the answer is actually sex, which no. surprises me. As I mean, it does and it doesn't. So, <laughs> Professor Terry Fisher of Ohio State University found that men thought about sex between 1 and 388 times a day, with a median of 18 times. Well short of the 8,000 times that was estimated from a previous and less reliable study. So can we just pause for a second? <laughs> who was the one and who was the 388 yeah, and how was the median 18? Like, like this so guy has just strange. gone to the pub and just asked people, like, you're thinking about sex? Like, get away from me, you absolute pervert. <laughs> so, just, like, tallied it on a clipboard. No, so for those who are wondering, it was actually done with a little clicker style that every time you not just thought about the word sex, it was about either nudity or about potentially having sex with your lover or, like, pornography, you had to click it. And they had three. So one for food, one for sex, and one for sleep, I think. Yeah. There you go. Um, so the women did exactly the same, but as society expects, they think about sex less uh, than their male counterparts. Their range was 1 to 140 times a day with a median of 10. There you go. Mm. Some fun statistics for so us. So did they pair the guy who thought about it 388 times with the woman who thought about it 140 times at the end of the study? I mean, he still thinks about it double as man as she does. So, But it's better than him going with the woman who thought about it one time. And then teaching about the pros of the pull-out method. You've <laughs> <laughs> got a party. Okay, so men also thought more than women about food. Uh, so 18 to 15, sleep as well. So this particular study, which was the most reliable one we could find, found that men think about food uh, almost as much as they think about sex and women think about food more than they think about sex. So you guys can just well, ponder that amongst yourselves. What about when food and sex are the same thing? Like We don't want to know the inner working details of your life, Amanda. <laughs> With that being said, guys, well done. You survived. It's the end of the questions. Well done. How do you feel? I don't think I've got a pass mark. <laughs> we made it in unachievable standard though we didn't give you any study text we didn't give you any lectures preempting this we just kind of told you to come along and greet smile and bear it i guess we love that and hopefully our listeners loved it too and hopefully you guys enjoyed a little bit of a different format from us today we loved having Justin and Geordie on the podcast. Hopefully you guys did as well. We just wanted to reiterate here that our aims were to highlight some of the really like stark differences in health between men and women. And this is by no means, you know, aimed at proclaiming to be, you know, women as the superior sex or anything like that, even though we already know we are. No, I'm joking. In support of Movember this month, we just wanted to highlight some of these things in hope that we can support the men in our lives to seek the medical help when they need it um, and, you know, alert them as to when they should be getting it and to participate in regular cancer screening and generally just being more active participants in their own health and well-being. A hundred percent. So if anyone was intrigued, we did find some scientifically backed information as to why men in Australia are more likely to be disadvantaged when it comes to health and healthcare. So in 2014, um, the Victorian government performed a study and generated a report around men's health and generated seven key theories as to why Australian men have poorer health outcomes than women. So these key theories were... Number one, greater expenditure is actually allocated to women and children's health on a state and federal level in Australia. Uh, Number two, men are more likely to be employed full-time than women, therefore have less time for medical appointments. Secondary, obviously, due to the nine-to-five nature of our society. Reason number three, men... Young men behave as if they're invincible, which are the words from the actual report. This risk-taking behaviour is seen on the roads with young male drivers being more likely to be killed or involved in road accidents, more likely to binge drink, take harmful substances and engage in reckless disregard for their physical safety. These all being the words from the Victorian government's uh, report. Please, guys, do not 
judge me. Um, number, what are we up to maybe for? Oh. Men are traditionally employed in high-risk jobs, especially trades, transport, construction, as well as mining industries. Number five, some men are more comfortable in seeing a male practitioner, particularly when it comes to sexual or genital problems, um, adding in to the factors we already discussed with men being less likely to see their GP. Number six, Australian male culture perpetrates a distorted notion of masculinity, which is Something we will not dive into today, but maybe on a future episode. And finally, number seven, men with mental health problems such as depression are more likely than women to self-medicate and tend to manage their symptoms through alcohol and other drugs. So, guys, let's not let this cycle continue. Encourage your male partners, your friends, brothers, fathers, uncles, grandfathers, everybody that we know to seek medical attention when necessary and to encourage them that there is absolutely no stigma attached to it, that it should be a part of our you know, self-care routine and it should be something that's normal in what we do because we don't want the guys in our life to be unwell. We don't want them to live a poor quality of life. And we most certainly do not want them dying when they don't need to be. So once again, thank you so much, Justin and Geordie, for uh, subjecting yourselves to (laughs) our interrogation today. Um, We very much look forward to having this episode go up and hope you guys enjoy listening to it. Thank you very much, guys. A big thank you to all of those who've reached out to us this week as well. I feel like for one reason or another, this week we've had a massive outpouring of love towards Amanda and myself even, directly just, um, I guess, giving us positive feedback on the podcast and just letting us know that they're enjoying it. And I cannot tell you guys enough, we absolutely adore this. It makes our day, it makes our week, it makes our month, it makes our year to know that you guys regularly listen want to listen and enjoy it so please if you are feel free to either message us personally share it on your stories we see it all and we could not be more thankful and if you did enjoy this episode we would love for you to just share it with one other person so you could spread the love we are just a little independent podcast we you know make no money off this we do this out of our own um you know time and all of that kind of thing so we would really really appreciate you guys helping to get the word out as always you can find us at one percent stronger pod on instagram that is all words and no numbers um but other than that maddie i guess we'll be in your ears next week guys would you like to sign off yeah thanks for the spanish inquisition <laughs> you're more than welcome i was trying to think of like a, a catchy sign off but i can't it's all right like the, you got see time. you next week but i won't be here <laughs> next week <laughs> thank so you so much <laughs> bye guys bye. Thanks for